It's the Dead Lady Show podcast. The Dead Lady Show celebrates women both overlooked and iconic who achieved amazing things against the odds. And we do it through live history storytelling in Berlin and beyond. I'm Susan Stone, and I'm here Skyping away with Dead Lady Show co-founder Katie Darbyshire. Hi, Katie. Nice to see you. Hi, Susan. It's lovely to see you and your glittery arms, which are like yes, waving I... around like an octopus. Only there's only two it's... of them. There's only two. It's the sequence of events. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I did put on my sequence, especially for our taping tonight, because we are celebrating the end of a rather unpredictable year. And we both have with us in our separate locations in Berlin, the patron drink of the Dead Lady Show, Rotkäppchen, in mini form. We do. Here's uh, mine. Katie, I'm showing you your mine on the screen, which probably yeah, doesn't work mine. very well on a podcast. But oh, yours looks <laughs> colder than mine. <laughs> it's been in the fridge for a while. Uh, okay. Um, now, what it's for people who have not heard our uh, what our ode to road caption before? What is it? Road caption is the German word for Red Riding Hood, and it is. A cheap German sparkling wine from East Germany originally. I mean, affordable. Afford affordable. It's a, a, a <laughs> um, accessible German sparkling wine, originally from East Germany, and uh, you can buy it in these little bottles, 0.2 liters, which is two champagne glasses. Is it? Once they, I was in a bar and we tried to get one each, and the woman was like, "No, that's for two." <laughs> Now that's affordable thinking. Yes. <laughs> well, I think actually this is our third holiday December episode. And in each one, we have had Rotkäppchen dabei. And we, we have. Had yeah. and we usually we have a cork and usually we have Florian. But <laughs> there's just us two and these uh, little bottles and Florian will come later on on tape. So let's open them together okay. and make a distant toast. Let's see if it makes a noise in my little microphone. Okay, hold on. It made a noise. Ah, you did it. Okay, I'm going to pour it in the glass right next to the microphone. And I managed to pour it in the glass without getting sparkling wine on my computer, which is fun. Fantastic. Well, we can't clink glasses. <laughs> through the screen so we'll just say cheers cheers susan here's the dead ladies absolutely here's to red riding hood and all her dead friends cheers cheers and of course other sparkling drinks are available please join us in a toast with your fizzy water your cola drinks your <laughs> ginger ale and whatever suits <laughs> now we only had three live shows this year <laughs> so we usually have at least six one was before the lockdown started one was outside in the summertime and the third was at the beginning of fall we were invited by our friends at the Burghulshof Center for Literature in Munster to come for a visit and put on a show and a workshop so today's talk comes from that trip Katie what else happened during that trip we had some little mini bottles of Rotkäppchen to start us off. We did. There's photographic evidence, which is on the website. <laughs> yes. Uh, we had two guests whose talks were both in German. Carlos Taha talking about the 
brilliantly influential American writer, Toni Morrison. And we also had uh, our other guest. Bernadette Hengst. Bernadette Hengst, that's the one, yes. And Bernadette talked about Valerie Gell from The Liver Birds. Right. Which was a very cool early rock and roll band, kind of Beatles era, all-girl band. Um, and those talks are available. They're both in German, and we'll have a link to them. They currently live on the website of the Berghofsoft Center for Literature, but we can put a, a link up for those of you who understand German, and they're very fun. Yeah. Um, but it was kind of like, it was a really notable event in a way because... You know, when we did our live show, it was outside, which was great. But we had about 28 people, I think. And this show in Munster was at the university. It was in a big auditorium with a professional sound system. <laughs> and a guest of, I think, at least 40 people, wasn't it? Almost impossible to imagine it right now. I, I mean, I'm re I was there. I remember it. But just the <laughs> thought of being inside with all those people of course they were they were spaced but it was a very big space so there were there were you know big gaps between people um but there yeah there were lots of them there were lots of them they were all wearing masks and yeah i mean i think the that auditorium probably seats i don't know 300 500 people i don't really bad with that kind of definitely a couple of hundred, couple of hundred. i mean obviously it wasn't full um yeah. <laughs> uh but it, yeah, it was a very strange atmosphere. I mean, I had a really lovely time. And then we went back into lockdown kind of what felt like three days later. So uh, it was, I'm really glad we did it. Yeah, it was a snapshot of, it's almost like a strange moment in time that it, it almost didn't seem like it could happen. And then it happened and yeah. it didn't seem like it's going to happen again. So yeah. I'm, I'm glad we were able to do it. And of course, we have a fabulous talk for our listeners that came from it. And that's from our dear co-founder, Florian Dowsens. Florian is an editor, an educator. He does all kinds of wonderful things. And introduce the talk, if you please. Yeah. Well, now we have from the stage at the Studio Bühne der Universität Münster, our beloved co-founder, Florian Dowsens, with the story of Sister Rosetta Tharp. Um, so uh, as a white uh, male... European uh, atheist, I'm maybe probably actually very much not the right person to tell you about a, a black woman artist who sang spirituals. But I do recognize hope and spirit and uh, sheer joy when I see it. And especially these days, that's uh, very precious. So I, I hope I can, I can share that at least with you today. Uh, to start, I'll take you here to Washington, D.C., July 3rd, 1951. Um, this is Griffith Stadium. And the seats were quickly filling up, not with baseball fans, but with wedding guests. And there were about 15,000 of them, or maybe 22,000. A lot of people, uh, they brought uh, gifts of silverware, jewelry, rugs, a couple of TVs, and the bride was wearing a $1,500 outfit, which was the price of a new car at the time. Uh, it was made of white lace with a scoop neck and sheer lace sleeves attached to the bride's middle fingers with a sequin-trimmed veil hanging from a rhinestone and pearl-encrusted tiara. 
plus a $400 bouquet of white orchids and ostrich feathers. The reason why I'm telling you about the dress is that it had come to town in a car with a, with a white seamstress next to it from a fancy department store, this department store, in Richmond, Virginia. And that was the same department store where two years earlier when the bride, the 36-year-old bride, Sister Rosetta Tharp, she was there two years earlier, and she, when she said she was going to pay for her mink coat in cash, they had arrested her. Uh, remember when Oprah went to Tina Turner's wedding in Switzerland, and uh, she went to a shop, and she was like, could I look at that purse? And they were like, no, no, that's too expensive for you. Anyway, here's a few bits from the wedding ceremony of Sister Rosetta Tharp. Ladies and gentlemen, the big moment, as you can well see, is just about arrived. I'd like to take this opportunity to welcome you to Griffith Stadium, where you're about to be guests at the wedding of Sister Rosetta Tharp, after which there'll be a great spiritual concert followed by fireworks. Russell, since you met Rosetta, have you had any trouble with her that you feel that you should matter her this evening? <laughs> Rosetta, since you met Russell, have you had any different with him that you feel that you shouldn't marry him this evening? No different. That's fine, isn't it? I know how to marry people. I know how to put them together. If they don't stay together, it's not my fault. Russell, will thou have this woman to be thy wedded wife, to live together after God audience in the holy states of a matrimony? Will I love her, comfort her, honor her, keep her in sickness and in health, and forsake all others and keep to her only? As long as you both should live, your answer is, I do. That's long enough, isn't it? That's what we call foreshadowing. Um, Sister Rosetta Harp was a gospel singer, and all her band members had roles to play in the wedding. Her former duet partner, Marie Knight, was her maid of honor. Her backup singers were bridesmaids, of course. A former band leader was her groom's best man. And after the ceremony, Rosetta strapped on a guitar and played some of her favorite songs. Rocking a stadium long before Janis Joplin or the Beatles, right, who famously had this Shea Stadium, first big stadium rock concert, ever would. The night ended in fireworks, uh, different displays, one of which depicted Rosetta playing her guitar. Another one was classic honeymoon location, Niagara Falls. Another one involved a duck laying eggs, which was about fertility. It was midnight before it all ended, and they'd made a fortune. And seven months earlier, when Rosetta had agreed to this crazy plan that her manager had cooked up to, to get married in a stadium, she'd been single. <laughs> and it had been months still before she'd met this new husband, um, her third, Russell Morrison. So how had she ended up here? To tell you that, I have to take you back a little bit further to uh, March 20th, 1915, in Cotton Plant, Arkansas. 
The population is now about 649. It's home to a lot of state debate contest winners, and it's not very far to where one of her biggest fans, Johnny Cash, would grow up later. The town was about double that size then, in 1915, with two churches for white people, three for African Americans, and it was here that Rosa, or Rosie, or Etta, or Rosa Bell was born. Those days, country women weren't given birth certificates, nor did doctors come when they went into labor. Both her parents picked cotton. Rosetta's maternal grandparents certainly were enslaved. Rosetta's family went to the Church of God in Christ, which was the biggest of the new Pentecostal denominations there. This meant that drinking and dancing at home was taboo, but at church services, uh, they were very raucous affairs with people speaking in tongues, and most importantly, there was a great deal of singing and dancing and making joyful noise, right? As a church elder said, the devil should not be allowed to keep all this good rhythm, which is a fair point. Women were supposed to dress modestly without makeup, skin lightening, or hair straightening. Here's a picture of uh, her mother, Katie, or Ma Bell, suitably dressed neck to toe in black. Women were also not allowed to preach in church, but they were encouraged to evangelize and to lead the congregation in song. Rosetta was a talented performer even as a toddler, uh, being lifted onto the piano with her little guitar so people could see her as she sang and performed songs. And in 1921, uh, her mother took six-year-old Rosetta to Chicago, up north, to start evangelizing at revivals and churches there. Their home base was uh, the Church of God in Christ on 40th Street, where later in the 60s, uh, Emma Till's body would be displayed, the, the boy who was, who was lynched, Emma Till. They'd perform all over the Midwest and eventually the South, too. They would live off collections, making about 10 times as much as domestic workers, maids and such would make. And they might have even saved some souls along the way, who knows. All the way, Ma Bell maintained her very strict rules regarding theater, radio, movies, no to all three, right? Rosetta would stop going to school around her 12th birthday, and mother and daughter toured together throughout the 20s and 30s until 1934. That is, when Rosetta met and married her first husband, Thomas J. Tharp. Her soon-to-be abusive new husband clearly married her for her talents, uh, her musical talent, as he proceeded to drag her and Ma Bell on the road with him to draw bigger crowds to his services. Uh, while wintering with him in Florida, Rosetta's profile rose as she appeared on some local radio shows, and more and more white people were starting to show up for these services. And after a while, these white people were charged the fee and relegated to the balcony upstairs. Now, buoyed by her success, and perhaps now brave enough to step away from her broken marriage, Rosetta moved to New York with her mother, where she was soon discovered by the Cotton Club, a very problematic venue where all the performers were black and the stage was dressed like a plantation. The guests were whites only. Exceptions were made for celebrities, but very rarely, and even then they were seated in the back so no one could see them. Uh, she was soon to be paid an astonishing $500 a week, joining the club's very impressive artist roster, which included the likes of Duke Ellington, Cab Calloway, the Dandridge sisters, the Nicholas brothers. And in the audience for her first night, does anybody know who this is? Not, not the semi-hot guy, but the other one. 
It's J. Edgar Hoover, um, the, the, who started the FBI. But to cleanse your palate of that guy, there's Marlena, sort of around the same seat, different night. Uh, soon, Rosetta started copywriting her songs and signed a record deal with Decca's race division, which put out Louis Armstrong, Ella Fitzgerald, Count Basie. Uh, they would release her sets on simple singles, but they grew so popular, they, they started bundling them in like albums, <laughs> which was a, a very new concept at the time. Um, and Ma Bell still didn't allow a record player in the house. Rosetta really was moving in very lofty circles now. Here she is at a jam session with uh, Cab Calloway and Duke Ellington. Billie Holiday was there, two scores of other jazz legends. This was for a Life magazine piece. This wasn't their daily life, but it looks really fun. And for her first single, she very um, subtly modified a gospel song by Thomas Dorsey called Hide Me in Thy Bosom, and she changed it a little bit and titled it Rock Me. Now, won't you hear me swinging? Hear the words that I'm singing. Mudge my soul with water from on high. While the world of love is around me, evil thoughts do by me. Oh, if you leave me, I will die. You just hide me in our bosom. Hell is the life is over. Oh, rock me in the cradle of thy love. Only feed me. Hell, I want no more. Then you take me to your blessed home above. I know. Uh, she'd perform at Carnegie Hall that same year, tour with Calloway, and by the time the Americans joined World War II, she'd be one of the very few black artists who was uh, certainly black religious musicians who got to make so-called V-discs that would be sent to inspire the troops abroad overseas, I should say. And more radically for a black religious woman, she also appeared on the radio to inform and caution soldiers against sexually transmitted diseases. She even recorded a few soundies, which were three minutes, six millimeter film clips featuring scantily clad dancers, not singers, but the, the dancers were scantily clad that folks could sort of peep at for a, a dime in bars that had these uh, panoram machines, they were called. Um, here's the first minute of one. Look down, look down that lonesome road before you travel on. Look up, oh, look up and see your maker before Gabriel blow his horn. Yeah, right. Um, 
As you can imagine, this sort of scandalous worldliness wasn't lost on her uh, former fans from the church, and she would have forever be referred to as that Broadway singer who does a mean gospel tune. Her estranged husband even showed up uh, very bizarrely at the Cotton Club one night to castigate her for wear not wearing a hat. Um, yes. In interviews, she argued that she sang in nightclubs uh, because there were more souls there that needed saving in the nighteries than there were in church. She told someone else that she only recorded secular music when she was broke. At some point, she started balking at her commercial transformation into a blues singer, though. Perhaps it was a song she recorded with Lucky Milliner called I Want a Tall, Skinny Papa. Uh, here's the first minute of it recorded live for one of those V-discs for the soldiers. And now, men, here's a word or two from our conductor, Lucky Millinder. A few minutes ago, you heard our man Bacon giving out with the trials and tribs of a big, fat mama. Just to show we have no partiality, we're about to delve into the quantitative qualifications of a tall, skinny papa. And here, complete with a vocal hammock so that said papa will have a pleasant swing, is Sister Rosetta Top. Sister, are you latched on? Yeah, man. Well, boys, let's ride it. don't think it's about Jesus. <laughs> Something's telling me it's not about Jesus. Though she would no longer record any more secular songs after this one, um, she kept playing secular venues, often appearing in nightclubs on Saturday evenings and at churches on Sunday mornings. In 1943, she divorced Tharp and managed, married a Falk P. Allen, F-O-C-H. <laughs> Here's a picture from a report of a different divorce of his later on in Jet Magazine. But he does look fine, I guess, yeah. By 1946, she divorced Falk, only to find new success and inspiration with Marie Knight, a gospel singer from Newark in her early 20s, divorced with two small kids. Together, they toured the entire country. They didn't need any crew or roadies because Rosetta played the guitar, Marie played the piano. Sometimes they played at tobacco barns uh, with a series of hooked-together wagons as a stage um, for audiences of three to 4,000 people, while in New York they would charter ambulances to take them from their downtown venues to their uptown spots. And now they may have been a success, but the Jim Crow laws in the South still meant that they couldn't stay at most hotels or eat at most restaurants in the South, and sometimes only black-owned funeral homes would uh, give them a bed for the night. Interviewed years later, Marie still remembered Rosetta very fondly, even though she would never admit that they had a romantic relationship. Other sources strongly suggest that they were, and that Rosetta slept with both men and women. This is what Marie said about Rosetta's writing process. It was a gift. 
sound. If she could hear it, she could play it. Sometimes she'd be up like two, three in the morning. She'd be downstairs at the piano and she'd say, you gotta come down because we got a song. I got a song that's coming through. She'd get the guitar and I'd play the piano and she'd sit there and we'd word it out. She'd word it out. And that's how we did our recording. She'd hear the songs as they came through. And she'd sit there and then pick them out on the guitar or the keys and whatnot. And that's the way she did it. It had to come to her by sound. This is their most famous composition that they did. Up above my head. Up above my head. I hear music in the air. I hear music in the air. Now up above my head. Up above my head. You know head. I hear music in the air. I hear music in the air. Up above my head. Up above my head. I hear music in the air. I hear music in the air. And I really do believe. Yes, I really, I really do believe that there's a heaven somewhere. Heaven somewhere. I know, it's so good. Um, after scoring a hit with Up Above My Head, they attracted even larger crowds, moving to a new home in Richmond, Virginia. Its garage for a while served as a stable for Rosetta's horse, Margaret, while a garden shed lined with cedar was home to their gorgeous dresses. But this is when disaster struck, uh, as Marie's Newark home burnt down while they were on tour in California, killing both her mother and her two children. Rosetta and Marie flew back for the funeral, but two days later they had to be back in Nevada for their next shows. Marie understandably soon burnt out, and by the end of 1950 they split up. Rosetta didn't stop touring, instead hiring a group of backup singers she called the Rosettes, uh, buying a bus to cart them all around at least 46 of the American states. Having a tour bus, which was a complete novelty at the time in the early 1950s, meant that Rosetta would no longer have to scramble to find a place to stay, even in the South, and hiring a white driver meant that they could send him into all the restaurants to get their food orders, and they could eat whatever they want. And her success reverberated. As Rosetta's manager at the time remembered, Money, 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 money. She gave away more than anybody. She'd stop on street corners, start throwing it out the window. It's Sister Rosetta Tharp. Stop in front of the schools and children be turning out. Stop on the street corner. Come here, Mama, you need a new dress. Here's $50. Sister Rosetta Tharp gave it to you. Yeah. We stayed in them homes, like Spartanburg, South Carolina, for instance. She told this woman, say, Mama, you need a new stove and refrigerator. Come on, let's go downtown. Bought that woman a new stove and refrigerator. By now, we've caught up with the stadium wedding, which I have to add was noted uh, or mentioned in neither of the two white newspapers in Washington, DC, though it was later released on vinyl in its entirety. It's also on Spotify. <laughs> that man she married, Russell Morrison, sadly was another complete dud in the husband department, cheating on her regularly, coasting on her earnings while posing as her manager, uh, Morrison would ultimately lose her, her cherished house, and her tour bus. Still, she'd never leave him. By the age of 40, her star was kind of fading, even as her influence on guys like Johnny Cash, Chubby Checker, 
Little Richard, most importantly Elvis, grew more and more obvious. The rise of rock and roll, however, also stimulated a newfound interest in the roots of rock and roll, right? Where did this all come from, especially in the UK and in France? And Rosetta spent the next 10 years playing to ecstatic, young, white audiences all over Europe, touring with a British Dixieland band, uh, even a young Ginger Baker, who would later be in Cream. Uh, and of course, many European reviewers saw her through typically racist lenses, describing her, and I quote, so rhythmically exciting that when she accompanies herself on guitar, she might be a blacked up Elvis in drag, end quote. But one British fan described her impact more directly. Not only were we not used to blistering guitar, we weren't used to a woman playing blistering guitar. She was ripping the wallpaper off. You know, what you have to understand is we were only just starting to play electric guitars. You know, we were still playing jazz and skiffle and that kind of stuff. And to suddenly hear this kind of booming blues, you'd think, wow, I must do some of that. Uh, Bob Dylan agrees. Sister Rosetta Thurp was a powerful force of nature, a guitar-playing singing evangelist. You know, she traveled to England with Muddy Waters and a whole bunch of other blues performers in the late 50s and early 60s. And I'm sure there are a lot of young English guys who picked up an electric guitar after getting a look at her. If you want to get a look at her, go on to YouTube and type in Sister Rosetta Tharp. It'll blow your mind. <laughs> um, he's, he's right. So with uh, white Americans now also catching up to the roots of rock and roll by the tail end of the 1960s, Rosetta was getting more and more shows back home as well. Ma Bell was doing great. Uh, at the fine age of 77, um, she recorded a great record with Dizzy Gillespie. But sadly, in 1968, uh, Ma Bell died. And in a way, this loss spelled the beginning of Rosetta's sad decline, particularly due to her diabetes, which went unregistered and then stubbornly untreated for so long that she suffered a stroke in Switzerland in 1970 and was forced to have her leg amputated the year after. None of this stopped her from performing, uh, even if she had to hop on one leg on stage. Rosetta kept up the hectic schedule that her husband set for her, touring with uh, Yvonne and Yvette MacArthur, for instance, Los Angeles-born twins conjoined at the head, uh, but the venues grew smaller and smaller and uh, were more and more limited to churches. In 1973, right when she was scheduled to start recording a new album, she had another stroke, dying a few days later, only 58 years old. Her funeral was sparsely attended, unlike Mahalia Jackson's, who was her contemporary, of course, a year earlier, which drew thousands. And this might have been the price she paid for this worldliness, playing white music also. But of course, Marie Knight came, dressed her, did her makeup, made sure her hair was just so. Rosetta had a little scar on her forehead, so she would always have her bangs down to hide it. Her husband did not prove as loyal, never buying her a gravestone. This gravestone was added in 2009 after fans held a benefit. And though he said he would bury her with her cherished white Gibson SG guitar, he sold it right along with her minks and her Lincoln Continental. The only thing he kept was her piano. Now, three years ago today, a stretch of highway outside of Cotton Plant, Arkansas, was named in her honor, the Sister Rosetta Tharp Memorial Highway. And of course, she was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2018 by an all-star band, including Brittany Howard, 
Questlove, and Felicia Collins. I'd like to point you to two great Rosetta resources, one being the book that first detailed Rosetta's life in full, Gail Wald's very great Shout, Sister Shout, the untold story of rock and roll trailblazer Sister Rosetta Tharp. And if you're more um, visually oriented, there's also a documentary on Vimeo to watch for free called The Godmother of Rock and Roll, a documentary in which Wald's research features very prominently, and she herself too. I should also mention the very lovely play, Marie and Rosetta, in which playwright George Brandt imagines the two of them talking and playing music after hours in a funeral home. Now, Rosetta did more than just take gospel from local black churches to an international white middle-class audience. She gave it her own spin, even in the face of jeers from both black audiences who felt she simply wasn't Christian enough, and from white audiences who preferred an exoticized version of blackness. Sister Rosetta Tharp actually changed popular music forever by not denying her own physicality, by imbuing her religious lyrics with a powerful kind of ambiguity, and by performing and playing guitar with an authority and a sheer force that did not seem beholden to anyone, except perhaps the Almighty. Thank you. Florian Dyson's on Sister Rosetta Tharp, recorded live in Munster with help from Brigitte Hammer. Thanks also to Fiona, Kati, Tobias, Felina, and Jörg for inviting and assisting us. That was great. We'll have some video and images of Sister Rosetta, as well as a link to a special Spotify playlist on our website, deadladyshow.com. And there'll be some features on our social media at Dead Lady Show as well. Now, over the years, we've been really lucky that many of our live shows and podcasts have been supported by arts funding and organizations in Germany. But at the moment, that's not the case, though we hope it will change very soon. If you'd like to lend us a hand, we do have a Patreon at patreon.com slash deadladyshowpodcast. Our supporters receive Dead Lady Show stickers, books, and access to our Dead Lady Book Club, which has exclusive audio recommendations and interviews. Yeah, thank you so much to everyone who's already supported us on Patreon. You can also help us by sharing our podcast with your friends and family. And it really helps if you rate and review us on Apple Podcasts too. Yeah, auf Englisch oder Deutsch. <laughs> we'll take both. We'll take either. <laughs> Now, what's not kicky music in the background? Why, it's our theme song, Little Lily Swing by Tritachion. The Dead Lady Show was founded by Florian Dowsens and Katie Darbyshire. The podcast is created, produced, and edited by me, Susan Stone. Thank you, Katie. Thank you, Susan. And cheers. Cheers, cheers, yeah. cheers. 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 <laughs> 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 Gonna knock it against the screen here. It doesn't make a noise, thank goodness. How about, the, how about if you hit the bottle? Ah, good thinking. <laughs> Thanks to everybody out there listening. See you soon. Cheers. Oh.